Thanks for listening. Join us now for Perry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio. Stephen Arterburn is our guest this morning. He is the founder of New Life Ministries and host of the Christian counseling talk show, New Life Live. He's also the founder of the Women of Faith Conferences, and he is a best-selling author. And we're talking today about his new book, Every Believer's Thought Life, Defeating Destructive Mental Patterns to Gain Victory Over Temptation. We love to hear a person's faith story. It's just, we love to share that kind of stuff on our show. We share ours all the time and people are kind of tired of it right now. So we need a fresh one. (laughs) So if you would, yeah, just share your faith story. Well, I love talking about how Jesus is like Buddha and Muhammad and the other great teachers. So yeah, just go ahead and ask me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. See, what we're doing here is we're actually getting your credentials. You know, we, we know you've got degrees and you've got experience. We just want to know where you are with Jesus. So this is very telling. (laughs) So how did you find Jesus? how did you fall in love with Jesus? Well, I went into the bedroom at nine with my dad and uh, I came out having accepted Christ as my savior. And I, at age nine, turned everything over to Christ and experienced great feeling of well-being. And and then a short time later, I started taking things back from Jesus that I had turned over. Mm-hmm. But I did experience the feeling and the knowledge that my sins had been uh, forgiven. But, you know, I just didn't continue through my teen years with being totally surrendered to Christ. And and of course, I regret that. So when I went to Baylor, I was a promiscuous guy. And eventually, a girl became pregnant by me. And I pressured her to have an abortion. Mm -hmm. And about three days after that happened, I realized that I had destroyed my own child, that I had literally murdered my descendant. And I know that sounds harsh, but it was a harsh thing. And so I sank into a really deep depression. I had 80 ulcers eating at me. I was going to die. It was just all of the guilt and the shame that I had because there was no one I could go to to talk about what had happened. And eventually, a couple of things happened. I I went to um, an event. I heard a, a message by Chuck Swindoll where Chuck said, you know, your past just ended one second ago. Mm-hmm. Why would you live in it? And I began to realize that where I had been trying to convince God, no one had ever felt worse about this than me. What God really wanted me to do was to accept his grace and forgiveness and start to repurpose my life and get on with my life. And so that began a radical, radical change and journey that took me to seminary to study counseling. And the change was so radical at Baylor that many of my friends did not think it was sincere. You know, I I would hear that they were just waiting for this all to turn around. But I knew it was the real thing. And I would say to people, you know, if you hear me talking like that, or you see me doing things like this, or going places like that, you will know that this has all been for nothing. But if if you see these other things, you'll know that this was real. And I'm not going to ever have to tell you that it was real. And and it really was the beginning of a whole new way of life for me with Christ. And I'm so grateful for that time. Just really appreciate you sharing that. We love to 
open up our our mess as well mm-hmm. because everybody's got a story. Everybody's got something. You know, you look at Moses, you look at David, you look at Paul, you look at Peter. God used failures to make leaders. Yeah. In the Old Testament, I read of Aaron, God's first high priest, worshiping a golden calf. Hmm. And on the same day, I turn over to the New Testament, and Peter is denying Jesus three times, right. the head of the, you know, the church. And, you know, I just thought, wow, look at what happened there. He didn't go to his high priest, first one he ever hired for high priest, and say, well, you blew it. You're not going to be high priest. And Jesus didn't go to Peter and say, I can't believe after all this time together, you messed up here and said you didn't even know me. Forget you. No, they still had the same calling on their life. They were restored and they lived out that calling. And I think there are a lot of people. They're living in sexual addiction, drug addiction, whatever. And they think they've gone too far, done too much. I thought that when I paid for that abortion. But if they could humble themselves and repent, confess, come back to the Lord, they would discover something that there is still a calling on their life, a reason Mm -hmm. that they were created. And they could find that and live the fulfilled life. They're not beyond the grace and the rich mercy of God. There is no sin God won't forgive, and it's no accident that you're listening. If you have put your faith in Jesus and you still feel like God hasn't forgiven that sin, that's a lie. His word says you're forgiven. And it's actually just a matter of of taking that thought captive of our sin and not being able to forgive ourselves of that sin. It's really about knowing what to do with that thought and how do you process that thought in such a way that you can live in the freedom that, that Jesus died for you to have. Stephen, what inspired you to write this new book? Is it mostly about sexual temptation or does it go beyond that? It goes way beyond sexual temptation. You know, just as we pointed out, every man's battle, so many guys struggling with lust and things like that. But other people struggle just as much with worry. Everything becomes a source of worry and their life is horrible because like, how am I going to pay these taxes and stuff? And and uh, becoming obsessed over, will I have enough retirement and all of that? Then for somebody else, it's not worry, it's bitterness. And they're just their thoughts are saturated with toward one person, mm-hmm. particularly anger, bitterness, resentment. And it no matter what they do to try to not think about that or not have that within them, it keeps coming back. And many times uh, when they ask for some kind of help, they get some advice or someone tells them, well, it's sin. You need to confess it and repent. And I relate those kinds of answers right back to um, Jeremiah 614, where it says they treat the uh, mortal wounds of my people with superficial treatments. And so uh, what we've tried to do here is not be superficial at all, but deal with, uh, and everybody has a little bit different way they need to deal with their thought life and taking thoughts captive. But when they find the way that is successful for them, life can really change because thoughts lead to feelings and thoughts lead to attitudes and thoughts lead to actions. And we can really have a lot of victory 
come out in so many areas of our lives once we deal with our thought life. It sounds to me like every believer's thought life is about every single thought that comes through my mind and how to have the mind of Christ, really. Right. And so one of the things that works well for most people is, let's say you never got over your mother, which, of course, we all know that it's everyone's job to get over mother. And if you're still resenting or can't speak to mom, you need to deal with that. But let's just say uh, mom keeps cropping up. I can turn that into something very spiritually beneficial when I simply go from mumbling about it or obsessing over it to turning that into a conversation with God. Mm -hmm. So if I say, man, mom was never there for me, I can stop doing that and say, God, you know that I still feel the hurt from mom not being there for me. God bless my mother today. She did the best that she could. Lord, help me accept my past and help me to grieve over what I didn't get. Okay, so now I'm doing what God wants me to do. I'm praying without ceasing. Mm -hmm. I've turned a negative thing into something that actually builds my spiritual life. And the more you do that, then, of course, the easier it's going to be and the more prevalent. So a constant contact and connection with God. But also think about how many people are believers and they didn't wake up this morning and start out by reading scripture. You know, my wife and I just finished, we published right before the end of the year, the one-year Bible for men and the one-year Bible for women, which every one of those uh, days has a 100-word devotional or commentary by us. And if you could just start doing that and filling your mind with Scripture from the beginning, well, there's a foundation of truth that everything else is going to happen on. And then you find these, what we talk about in the book, the God thought that helps you the most. You know, here's a God thought. It's all through scripture. Do not be afraid. Mm -hmm. It's said so often by angels and others. God does not want us to be afraid. But every time I feel anxious over something, if I could go to that God thought, do not be afraid. And then say, God, you know, here I am. I'm afraid. Help me to trust you more and worry about me less. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that we talk about, which is very important, is, you know, if, if you're a gardener, you have to love plants and hate weeds. And so we have to tend the garden. And there's some things, some weeds that have to be pulled up by the roots. And a lot of times in Christian, in the Christian world, we don't encourage people, well, why don't you uh, see a counselor and and work on that. Surely there is a root issue here, since this is so strong, that if you dealt with that, uh, maybe it was even something in your childhood that you've never really looked at, you're going to be able to have more freedom than you thought you could. In Christian circles, often we say, well, you know, pray more, read the Bible more. Those are good things. But sometimes we've got to go deeper and deal with some root issues if we're going to see things on the surface start to change. We have to go down deeper, and that is not a popular message in many circles. It's not about trying harder. Mm -hmm. It's about trusting more. It's about surrendering. It's about asking the Holy Spirit for help 
with the thoughts that can assail us that just drag us into the quicksand. Talk about identity, how that plays into our thought life. You know, how do we live out of our true identity and how does who we think we are shape how we behave? Great question. You know, I am saved and I have a past. If you want to see somebody that doesn't deserve uh, anything, it's me. And I paid for a young woman to have an abortion. I pressured her to have an abortion when I was in college. And and so I lived with this identity of shame for so long. I felt like I had gone too far, done too much. God could never, ever use me, which is exactly what Satan wanted me to believe. And, you know, fortunately, uh, I had I listened to Chuck Swindoll and and just this thing hit me so hard uh, where he said, your past just ended one second ago. Why would you live in it? And it just was something that set me on a different path to healing and accepting God's grace. And when I look at scripture, I see examples of other people that have sinned greatly and God has used. You know, God appointed Aaron chief priest and he ends up worshiping a golden calf. You know, if people have ever made a bad hire, God knows what that's like. Here's the first chief priest. And then you look at, at Peter, who's going to be the rock of the church, saying, I never met Jesus. I don't know who he is. You got the wrong guy. That's pretty bad failure right there, especially for Peter, who was one of the right-hand guys. And so if there is this reality that we're living into because we feel undeserving or whatever. God wants to restore us. And there's so many people that are living this one path full of negative things, full of uh, self-destructive and shameful thoughts, who if they could see what God sees in them and what God has for them, all of those thoughts would start to transform. So I'm just curious, Steve, you know, you pressured a girlfriend into having an abortion and you've worked through that. You know, God has forgiven you. You know who you are. You're Abba's beloved child. But I don't know about you. I have my own version of, you know, pressuring someone, hurting someone. I know who I am. I know I'm forgiven, but it still can come back to me. And I still have to go through the process of, you know, stop. I'm not going to dwell on that. I'm going to insert a, a truth of God's word, and I'm going to move on. Do you, do you still have to do that with that particular sin or others? Well, I do, especially, you know, I speak at a lot of uh, women's pregnancy centers, resource centers, and I tell that story. And I, I also am able to tell the story of that years later, after seven years of infertility, a couple, 16 years old, who did not want to get an, an abortion when she became pregnant, we adopted their child. Their, their child is now 32 years old. But that was, in my mind, that was God giving back to me mm -hmm. the very thing that I had destroyed, such a an act of grace. So I can focus on what I did. I can focus on what God did. Mm -hmm. And when we were infertile for seven years, of course, many Christians would say to me subtly, do you think that the infertility has anything to do with you paying for an abortion? Man. Because that is the God that a lot of people 
come to understand yeah. that he's a god of vengeance or punishment. And well, you know, if God was going to punish me uh, for what I have done in so many ways, it'd be much worse than just being an infertile couple. But as they get to see, and as I got to see, that isn't who God is. God gave back to me. And this daughter is one of the most amazing human beings in the world. We just, Mm -hmm. we were in uh, Europe together, traveling together. She's been married for several years to get to take a trip with my married daughter. Such an honor and joy for me. Um, Over the years, she's probably been the greatest source of joy. And yet I paid to destroy my own child. So I can focus on the, the thing I did. Or I can focus on what God has done and what God wants to do. And a lot of people will never experience what God wants for them until they take those thoughts around what they did and replace them with the belief and the acceptance of God's rich mercy and grace. I can so relate to this. It's it's like God rewrites my story. He rewires my brain through his truth because I have stuff in my past that I could just obsess about and get my identity from my failures. But God has done a work through the years to rewire my brain, to heal my heart. And my identity is Abba's beloved. Mm -hmm. Now I struggle. I still struggle and I have to stand firm against the old identity, the echoes of my old identity. But yeah, I'm Abba's beloved, and it helps me to deal with all the thoughts that come to my mind that want to just destroy me. But as we abide in Christ, our minds are transformed. Our thinking is completely, radically made something other, (laughs) different and new and good. God is just so good that way. In the area of taking my thoughts captive, you know, I will often tend to obsess about my past sins and my worst sins and stuff I did when I was a teenager. And I have learned this little tool. It's called thought stopping. And I'm sure you've heard something like that before. And it's just, you know, it's interrupting that thought. You get into this you know, endless loop of thinking about and obsessing and you just say, stop, you interrupt it. And then I do that and I replace it with a truth about God's grace, God's mercy, you know, scripture I've memorized. And so, you know, I've done the work of, you know, why do I feel shame? Why do I feel guilt? I've done all that deep, deep work. Sometimes I just need to, you know, not explore that, but just interrupt that thought, boom, and it replace it with the scripture and move on. I agree. And there are things that we don't need to uh, worry about, go over, redo, rehash, things like that. Um, but when we have shame over, like what you were saying when you were younger, it is a great invitation from Satan to move down that path, stay on that path. And again, every negative thought is an invitation to a deeper spiritual walk with God. If like what you're, you're saying, you, you say, I've got to stop this. And I, what we say is you stop it and you go to a God thought that means a lot to you. It's a, 
uh, scripture that you've memorized or something that uh, has helped you, a concept, a principle even, and that replaces it. But, you know, when you look at James 5.16, where it says, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other that you might be healed. Well, I think rather than continue to do what you're doing just by yourself, it gets even better when you're talking to other guys about this. And you're saying, you know, one of the things that really messes me up is I end up feeling bad over things that happened years ago, things that God forgave me for. I think just saying it out loud takes about half of the power out of whatever that problem is. And when we stay silent and secretive, that's when our problems, uh, internal problems, thought life problems fester. When we're finding safe people to be open with, that's where we get completely different kind of result. You know, in 2 Corinthians 10, it talks about taking every thought captive, and that sounds like such a beautiful concept. But how do I do that in my real life, in my day-to-day life? How do I do that right now? Thoughts come into my mind that unsettle me and disturb me and get me off course. How do I actually do that, take those thoughts captive? One thing that might be helpful is... One of the most powerful, in fact, J.B. Phillips, the Bible commentator genius, said the verse that astounds me the most is God is rich in mercy. So sometimes I have these thoughts and I want to condemn myself, go off in shame and stuff. Maybe I could just shift all that and move to this God thought. God is rich in mercy, Steve, and he loves you, understands, and God forgives you in every single thing. So let's don't be obsessing over that. Let's obsess over God's mercy and grace. Let's obsess over the torture that Jesus went through and the death on the cross. Let's think about that rather than that thought. Now, when I start going down that path, the thought that I had that was troublesome, I have captured it. It has gone away. And now I'm focused on things that are good and pure uh, that the Bible tells me I need to be focused on. But when I can't do that, if I find it impossible, and you know, when you're asking about willpower, willpower is good. We need all the willpower we can. We need to be humbly willing to surrender to God. But sometimes, well, most of the time, our willpower isn't enough to accomplish what we want to accomplish, especially in thought life. So I need to surrender to God. When I surrender to God, I'm asking God to give me the strength and the power that I don't have on my own. And when I surrender to God, here's the other thing. Usually God is going to connect me or I need to connect with a godly person that can help me to grow. Uh, I'm sitting in my office. We have eight men come in on Monday night and we meet together because we need each other. And we're all very different, but we have one thing in common. We're men who need the company of men. And a lot of times the person that's detached, distant, and afraid even to be around men or women that don't, they're not really comfortable with other women, you're missing out 
on this resource of community that can give you the strength and the power to do what maybe you've found completely impossible to do. We are talking with Dr. Stephen Arterburn. His new book is Every Believer's Thought Life. I remember struggling in my thoughts, and it was in my 20s, and I was at church. Me and Teresa were at church. We lived in Springfield, Missouri at the time. I was just really struggling in my thought life, and at the end of the service, it was being, the service was being led by Evangel University students, and at the end of the service, all the students surrounded, you know, all the seating, and they said, if you want prayer, you know, just stand up, and my pride was saying, I'm not going to stand up, you know, mm. I'm not going to do that, I'm just... And I just decided to stand up because, you know what, my willpower, my trying harder with my thought life wasn't working. And I needed to surrender. I needed to humble myself and stand up and and be prayed for. And the Lord just really came through in my life when I when I humbled myself. And so try harder. Just it just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Surrender. What he's saying is surrender to God is so it's non-negotiable. Stephen Arterburn's book is called Every Believer's Thought Life, Defeating Destructive Mental Patterns to Gain Victory Over Temptation. It is possible for us to be victorious, but it's not because we're trying harder. Hmm. It's because we're surrendering more. And this book just shows us how to do that. Tell me about your apprehension with the phrase, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Well, if I'm saying that, which is absolutely true, sometimes that can just keep me on the surface. Uh, You know what? I am a sinner, and I'm saved by grace. But also, beyond that saving moment, that salvation where I've been saved for all eternity, there's more to my story than that. And that is that I am like other people. I fail, I sin, I stumble, and God is there with his grace, wanting to restore me, wanting to use whatever pain that I go through. And I'm always um, wary of little Christian phrases that convey a truth, but they might just be a simple way to get on with something else versus maybe deal with why Am I even thinking I'm just a sinner saved by grace? You're not just a sinner saved by grace. You are you're a victorious person when the Holy Spirit fills you and empowers you and you come along with fellow strugglers. You become victorious, not just a sinner saved by grace. It's a multidimensional life as a grace filled Christian. What I'm hearing you say is that to say I'm a sinner saved by grace is, you know, God just, God sort of puts up with me. He forgives me and he's going to let me into heaven, but he's not very happy about it. Right. And you know what? This is hard for people to believe. God delights in you. God made you. And it's as if you were the only person ever made you of the millions over time. And here we are on this planet, and of all of the billions and trillions of planets and stars, there's only one place that life 
exist. And I don't think we're going to find it anywhere else. And if we do, God has sent his son to die for them. So anyway, I think this unique place here is where we have all been given this gift of life and God delights in us. And if we could live into that, maybe some Mm -hmm. of the things that trip us up wouldn't trip us up so easily or so frequently. little bit about the the role that willpower plays in our thoughts because so often we've got you know something pops up man we didn't even we didn't even watch a movie to provoke it like we didn't even go to areas where we shouldn't be and all of a sudden there's just this thought in our head and we're like man i need to not think about those things and and i just need to try harder talk a little bit about that well you know and when that happens a lot of people say now did satan plant that in my mind or did I have that? Well, Scripture's pretty clear that sinful things come from within us, and so we have to deal uh, from the inside out. But we're always going to have these things. We get we can be triggered by little things, and they're going to come up. And the question is, what am I going to do with it when it does? We tell men, for instance, if you have a lustful thought about a woman— we, we relate it to the corral of the mind, and you've got a Mustang mind, and what you have to do is open that corral door and walk that thought, walk that whatever that lustful thing is out of the corral of your mind. And so you, you might have a visual image of putting that thought that just cropped up, like put it on a big boulder and shove it off a cliff and get it out of your mind, anything like that. But if there's a pattern that you have, it's consistent. You really want to stop long enough, maybe just do 30 minutes of journaling about that thing. And maybe you come up with some insight as to why that is such a prevalent thought. I just had somebody ask me, I was with this person and how do I get them out of my mind? I still long for them. I still want for them. Well, I think one of the most uh, unused gifts from God is the grieving process. And we need to grieve things other than just when someone dies. And so a gift from God is a grieving process that detaches us Mm -hmm. from things that we uh, had or things that meant something to us. So grieve the loss of that relationship, go through that and experience that pain. Now I don't have to experience it every single day. I've resolved some of that and I might remember it painfully, but I don't have to obsess and live in the pain of an ungrieved loss. Oh man, that's so good. We need to actually let ourselves Feel the sad feelings. Not so good at that. I think I'm going to get my hands on Stephen Arterburn's book. It's called Every Believer's Thought Life, Defeating Destructive Mental Patterns to Gain Victory Over Temptation. Thanks for listening to Perry and Shauna Replay. To learn more, text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930.